0: Hello, sorry we're a little bit late. We just had a few login issues, but I'm delighted tonight to be with Robbie Britton, who is a coach, an ultra runner. He ran 650 kilometers across Jordan in 9.5 days in 2019, and he's now the very proud author of this excellent book, which I've just been reading, A Thousand and One Running Tips, The Essential Runner's Guide. So welcome, Robbie. What have you been up to today? Thanks for having
1: me. I've been uh, where I live in northern Italy. We've had about twenty centimeters of snow, so I bravely stayed inside and uh, rode on the turbo for most <laughs> of the day, only for a couple of hours. But uh, yeah, just been enjoying looking out the window rather than actually going outside.
0: Oh, oh! So how come you didn't run outside today? Considering there is a whole chapter in your book dedicated to the environment. <laughs> One of those is how to run in cold weather, and it says mittens are best, but you can't do social media with them. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I, I've got a race at the weekend, and uh, I've had a bit of an Achilles niggle recently, so I didn't feel that going out and sliding around on fresh snow was uh, the best best use of my time today. Just felt a little bit too risky, so I was stuck indoors, and uh, I got a lot of work done as well. Actually, so it's quite nice when you when you kind of feel like you're, you're cocooned in because of the environment. So I just, yeah, yeah I didn't didn't brave it, maybe.
0: Yeah, uh, were you doing the work whilst you're on the turbo? Like, is it possible to do work on your turbo? I did some,
1: well, yeah. So I spoke to two of my athletes who were racing this weekend whilst on the turbo. So that, yeah, a little bit of work. It does help pass the time. And I did check that they were okay. It was only an easy ride, so I was wasn't yeah. like you. are not just like, pan-
0: and then you've got to do this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what are you what are you racing this weekend? That sounds exciting. I am racing a
1: 30k uh, on the shores of, or the edge of Lake Garda. uh, Northern Italy is one of the big lakes up here, and it's got I think 1,300 meters of climbing. It's my wife and I are both going over there, and she's she's a much better trail runner than I am, Um, so it was mainly so she could race it. But I I thought, well, I might as well enjoy a bit of a run out as well. So yeah, I'm 30 kilometers, uh, uh, 1,500 meters ish of climbing,
0: 13 Uh to 1,500 meters. That sounds, and, uh, that's very hilly. It's, yeah, it's very mountainous around there, isn't it? I ran in the Dolomites once, um, which I think is a bit further north than that, but it's such a beautiful area, isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm really jealous of you living in Italy. What made you um, make the move out there? Uh,
1: we've been like, in Europe for a few years, and we were looking for somewhere a little bit cheaper than where we were, and uh, my wife happened to find an apartment for €5,000. Wow. Wow. Um, in a we' a very, we're a smallish town but it's it used to have a much bigger industry it was the, the home of uh, Fila the sportswear brand oh, okay. so the, the Fratelli okay. Fila's factory uh it's opposite uh, where we live and it's empty now and uh, the population of the town's it's got a lot smaller than it was it's about a thousand people now instead of two thousand so was some, someone was just trying to get rid of where they'd where they I think they'd grown up here and they'd moved to Milan and uh so we were like we emailed him and said, I think you've made a mistake on your website. It shouldn't be this cheap. Um they <laughs> said, no, no, the guy just, like, he'd, he'd tried to sell it for years and just was ready to get rid of it, I think. And, uh, and we jumped in. We jumped wow. at the chance. And that wow. Two years ago, we haven't looked back since.
0: Brilliant. Oh, and so is there quite a community of runners there? Have you got quite a lot of friends um, made yeah. over the years?
1: Like, so we've got a little club called the Climb Runners. It's an interesting, like, it's an an English name but it's an Italian um, uh, club out of uh, the nearby city Biella and there's a couple of people, one of the local lads here, Francesco, who I actually met, Like, well he was on Strava and I could see him on top of a lot of the leaderboards Mm -hmm. and I sent him a message and I think he ignored it because he was like, who's this random geezer? (laughs) So I went and I took one of his Strava crowns so he'd make notice and then he started (laughs) and we responded on there and and yeah through them and there's a few cyclists, there's a friend of mine who's a Dutch chap who who runs a, a cycling B&B about 10 miles away in Valdugia, and uh, yes, we've got cycling friends and running friends, and yeah, it's a really outdoorsy community in this kind of a neighbourhood.
0: Oh, awesome. That's amazing. And so what made you originally make the move to Europe in the first place? Like, um, was it just a bit rainy in the UK?
1: Rainy? It mean, rain's a fair bit here. Um, <laughs> I, I, honestly I, I wanted to try and do better in some of the European mountain races and I thought the next logical step was uh, going out to, to Europe more but then really it became a decision about quality of life Like it's just a really nice place to be and to be in the environment I'm from London, my wife's from Yorkshire um, so she's much more used to the outdoors than I uh, but it's just an opportunity to, to live a, a life that we kind of dreamed of and um, yeah just taking chances and, and making it happen so it was just about a, a better quality of life and doing things we can enjoy things we love yeah, on a daily basis
0: brilliant oh I love it I'd love to live where you live I'd, I'd love to live out there um maybe one day it's the dream um but yeah so you were brought up born and raised in London as we can tell um so how did you first get into running we'll get onto the book in a minute by the way just in case anybody's wondering <laughs> I just want a little bit of like a background like who you are um yeah so how did you get into running in the first place
1: uh, well, that must be just over, well, I mean, twelve years ago now. Uh, a friend of mine at university—I I played all sports. I played football, American football, rugby—and uh, often made up for my lack of physical stature and technical ability by running around a lot. And um, a friend of mine at the end of university, a chap called Adam Smith, he, he signed up for uh, the Windermere Marathon, and I honestly signed up for it so he didn't have sole bragging rights within our group of friends. It would have been unbearable. <laughs> yeah. And um. And then yeah, I ran just under three hours fifteen on on that course. Wow! And the bug a bit, and and then uh, did another one at Edinburgh. Went a bit slower because I got overexcited in the first half. And <laughs> end of that <laughs> end of that year, um, I looked yeah, I found the London to Brighton Trail race, and and signed up just because it was it seemed a bit longer, seemed interesting. It was from somewhere I, I lived to to somewhere that I'd go on holiday. Um, so yeah, I entered that, and then since then I've just been looking at different adventures and different races. And uh, enjoying it thoroughly.
0: Brilliant. And so we we always a coach, or did that come like after your interest in running?
1: So, so uh, as a young, uh, when I was like oh, 13, 14, I coached football. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've coached for a long, long time in in sports. Coached for university like our us, us football, soccer teams. If anyone's American listening, mm-hmm. and uh, and then when I started running, I actually I write like this the other. I think it says it in the book actually i started out as an athlete we did a bit of coaching to support that lifestyle and i think you see that a lot with um with ultra running athletes it's, it's a way to support what we want to do and it, it very not very quickly but if the table's turned and i'm now a am a coach it's my profession i like to think and i, I do a bit of running mm-hmm. i do a bit of cycling but primarily i'm a coach and uh and i just love it it's just Right like before I, I made the, the leap to being full time my coaching, I was teaching geography in the outdoors with the Field mm-hmm. Studies Council um, and some other companies that in that kind of area where you get in the river and like GCSE kind of kids and just try to stop any of them drowning. And if they can <laughs> learn a little bit about geography in the meantime, brilliant. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, so my background has always kind of been teaching and coaching uh, in that regard. And I mean, the last. Four or five years, I've, I think my coaching's progressed because I did a an MSc with the University of Stirling in performance coaching, which was two two and a half years, and really really helped me develop, not just as a coach, but as kind of helped me plot where I needed to go with my coaching as well in the future. And um, a lot of that probably cut, like trickled down into the book. And in like, the last couple of years, I've just been doing a the IOC sports nutrition diploma, so postgrads. It's a two-year postgrad course um, in sports nutrition. All this stuff is kind of—it's just me. I'm—I'm more of a coach now, probably, than an athlete. That's how—at least how I view myself. Um, you'd have to chat to my athletes to see if that was. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. No, it sounds like you're really, really qualified, and 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 I've been reading through the book, and you're. Uh, your teaching and your style, your style of writing, really comes through in this book. And there's been several times where I've just laughed out loud because of something that you've read. I don't know. It's because if it's because I know you anyway. But <laughs> I just I can hear your voice through this book, and it's just really, really wonderful. Um, so if anybody wants a Christmas present, then I'll put the link to this book in the film description below as well. Um, but uh, just before I talk a bit more about the book I do want to ask you about Jordan just for a couple of minutes um, because we've got quite a few people interested in that. Um, I'll just read out some hellos just so you can get a sense of of some people. I'll just read out a few of them. Um, So Marcus McDonald's here, he has says hello leon young's here jonathan russell as well and john gardner says hi too so hello uh, hello you guys and if ever, anyone's got a question live for robbie then do now is the time to type them in because we're going to talk about jordan first and then we're going to talk about his book so yeah uh, that was in like cashed your mind back to 2019 who can even remember that far back you got a good long run in before the pandemic huh um, why? Yes. <laughs> why did you decide upon Jordan? Because it's, it's not a, a, an area that you hear people doing a lot of running in, um, is it? Like it's not like a, you know, it's not like Chamonix.
1: <laughs> well, originally the idea was to go to Siberia, even oh, wow. more specifically, uh, and I had different teammates because uh, lake, lake Baikal is uh, it's the longest lake in the world. Um, or the deepest, one of the two the, the biggest by volume, there's lots of different uh, things about it that make it <laughs> wonderful and it entirely freezes in the winter and you can oh. run the length of it, if you people oh, have oh. done that uh, so I was trying to do that and I've been out there, with Nats and I have been out to wreck here and camp on the ice and stuff and unfortunately I just ran out of teammates that were good at coping with the cold and I was left with uh, not left with, but like the, the option that I had was uh, I'll find a picture Well he's in here everywhere <laughs> Mr. Daniel Alan Lawson this uh, this wonderful chap Hey. Um, yeah,
0: looking at a map as if he knows what it means. And, um, <laughs> yeah, because he usually runs in circles, doesn't he, around a track?
1: Yeah, we do. We both enjoy some circular running, and uh, and yes, yeah, so Dan's not great in the cold. I didn't fancy like carrying Dan for eight days, frozen solid, and having to resuscitate him <laughs> at the end. So, we, <laughs> or on a sledge uh, with huskies. Yeah, slightly, slightly warmer. Uh, that suited him, or more, more than suited me. And somewhere interesting, so a friend of ours, uh, Dave McFarland, he come out and, and he made a film, and uh, another friend, James Vincent, he took some nice pictures. And for them as kind of creating that stuff, it's like they wanted something a bit more interesting. So Iberia and us maybe freezing to death, yeah, that's plenty interesting. Uh, and then when, they, when I pitched a few different locations, and shameless to say, like, it really was just looking at where it was quite cheap to fly. <laughs> um so starring some of the budget airlines uh jordan come up as they, they they had a recent um ryanair connection from budapest to jordan that that made it super super cheap yeah this is all like again and and so we so we looked at uh alfie pierce higgins and Mohammed swati i've probably got his name pronounced incorrectly there so i apologize for that they would run it before and set a record of about 12 13, 14, we're not quite sure what their record was because it involved rest days and hospital visits and, oh, and right. some of them, running. yeah that was a strange one, <laughs> um, and yeah so we, 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 Dan knew Alfie and he asked him about it and, and the idea just blossomed from that and it just, it's a kind like, my my first masters at university was in archaeology, oh, um, and so the chance to go and see, I did, like I did geography in archaeology, I've always loved geography, yeah. and then combine that all my loves running traveling kind of being with people I like and seeing like the this amazing landscape and also the like the, the likes of Petra it was just a it kind of ended up being a bit of a no-brainer it's just a, an absolutely stunning part of the world and like from a cultural point of view it was very different to what we've done in the past but just the people were so lovely like the thing we might heard like most is a uh, like, welcome to children how can we help you and that was just straight away like everyone was just really lovely Um apart from the dogs, they were quite aggressive. <laughs> Recently the lady who's out the, actually out there at the moment has had her a trip curtailed after being bitten by a dog. So I was oh, reading no. a blog yeah, it proper got into oh. her leg. She oh. was in like the first couple of days. They're really like they're like sheep dogs like guarding the the, the livestock. Yeah. They got like these bondage necklaces. One of them like we've been seeing it they become like yeah, it had coming out of the necklace like you knew like this is am I like some kind of weird club in London or is this
0: really? <laughs> oh my goodness that's sounds well that's not hilarious like, I'd be really scared if I saw a dog coming to me wearing that kind of thing but ah, oh, that sounds horrendous but it looks beautiful like I've just managed to find yeah. a picture of you guys running through the desert there like is that in a wadi you know like what they call those the
1: waterways we, we went the slot canyons that yeah I mean I'm like two to three hundred meters of sheer wall either side and like the first one we got to was on a shorter day and uh we had to uh, change a couple of bits because it was a bit tougher than we'd thought um and like the underfoot conditions there are, that's actually one of the good days mm, very um,
0: rocky it, is it underfoot well it just it was more
1: i've said this a few times it was like an idea of a trail mm-hmm. rather than a physical trail
0: mm. it was a really
1: like they connected things up like, oh, yeah that'd be brilliant oh yeah this would be brilliant <laughs> when we get there and you would be like I can't actually see a trail a <laughs> Um so like the wadi's helped because they obviously Yeah, you can only Wadies. really go
0: one direction in in a Wadi. <laughs> it's like sheer it was, glyphs either side. That must be helpful. <laughs> it was
1: good. It was good and we kind of just like wary of flash floods, but also kind of yeah, yeah. It, it was a one I think it was the Wadi Al Alamine or Alamia. Uh it was between Petra and um, the, the Wadi Rum, which is famous, like it's used in big movies and stuff, and it's an absolutely stunning, land, like a moon landscape. Mm. Um, but this one was like 20, 30K of just sheer walls either side of you. Wow. And it was I just absolutely kind of, I, I, I had a say, and I kept saying to the, the crew, we can't, there's um, a book by a chap called Martin Lindsay about a 1930s expeditions to Greenland. And he says, one cannot exhaust one's superlatives too, too early in an expedition. Yeah, and it was so that we knew the Wadi Rum was coming. We knew these Petra was coming, and the first few days you're seeing things again that was just fantastic and a, and a, a, amazing. But if we we got we run out of words by the end. <laughs> if we'd have started by like, being so blown away by everything, by the end of the trip, it really was just mind-blowingly amazing to see some of these. And I don't use those those type of words lightly. Like, yeah
0: it's just yeah, totally the... different to what's in the UK and Europe, isn't it? It's just completely different, like the sheer white or the sheer pink cliffs, and okay. it's just More amazing. What,
1: isn't it?
0: Yeah, and then <laughs> you mentioned Jordan, so that's the famous... Um, yeah entrance to Jordan, the, the beautiful sand, well sand castles isn't it, <laughs> like a, um, stuff carved into sandstone and you just go through these rocks and it just appears in front of you, um, it's just absolutely beautiful, so like, at what point was the, um, was Petra on your trip, was it near the end or in the beginning? It was about
1: six days, we, we, at the end of one day we got into Little Petra which is a, one of the earliest settlements and then the start of the next day we went through Petra itself um, and we came in from the back end of it, oh, what the, the names, because there's, there's the Treasury and oh, the other bit. We we came in at the back and we, our first site was just huge, like it's carved into the stone and carved into the stone before, like it just, the, 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 even on this, the, the picture there you've got of the building that we ran into there, um, we actually went back and took a couple of pictures afterwards because we, we were rushing through early in the morning and uh, we wanted to spend as much time there as possible. And this is, we didn't come through that way, we had we, actually left before we got to that the first time, took a right before we got to the nice bit, but you look at that building and there's little little kind of divots on the side where they climbed up yeah, and built and it's just
0: yeah with no ropes presumably like no safety like they might have had scaffolding a bit maybe but like they'll just climb up there and ham- chip another bit off
1: <laughs> yeah I get like again we don't know yeah there's so much so little known about it and it was kind of left empty by the for, for many many years or there's kind of people like living in there quite roughly and now it's a it's it's one of the most ridiculously breathtaking things I've ever, I've ever seen yeah um yeah, I definitely. I, like, it's, yeah, when we talk about not people not running in Jordan, yeah, it was it was a totally different experience. But there was little bits as well, like um, they had the Dana Biosphere, which is like a, a really big U-shaped valley. And we came to like there's a, there's a really nice little kind of settlement at the top of this this valley before you drop down into it, and then this wonderful trail the whole way along it. And I think there's pictures in. I'll have a look in a sec. But there's it's kind of just the whole valley like that is open up and you're, you you come to the head of it right at the top and it's just like in full bloom I think we, we weren't even there in the best season for it but it was and then you just you, you wound down in and run through the middle of it and it was just breathtaking especially with like the light in, in that kind of uh, environment as well it's just yeah there were so many moments like that where especially as we've taken our time over the trail we get to points in it really felt like we'd earn these kind of special things in some places you were in like the first slot canyon we got to was in the middle of nowhere no one else was gonna visit it unless they were on the Jordan Trail mm-hmm. so it felt like our little secret and it was mm-hmm. ours to enjoy just ourselves and like they had the three main waddies at one point further down and and you kind of drop into them and then climb out again mm-hmm. and it was just just the size and scale of it all was was just brilliant yeah wow. so I, 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 yeah it's a, it's a place to visit on foot um, yeah or whatever, or whatever. if there's
0: like a one like is there one day that people can go and do um like if there's like a one day route that people you could recommend to people which which bit would you recommend that they do
1: weird right because i guess if you went and if you went and say to, to wadi Rum, it's, it's a big open space and there's lots of like jeeps and, and we stayed in a bedroom camp there and stuff um like it's not something you would go and run like it's, it's part of that journey it's like same with petra it's busy right if you're there in the middle of the day it's very busy and we got special permission to work, run through from one end to the other in the early hours of the morning cool. um, it wouldn't be the two places it's the most popular places most well known I mean that like actually logistically that long um, that long slot canyon that, that we um, that we run up the Wadi well, the Alamein I think it was called I'm gonna probably butcher that as well
0: uh, <laughs> oh they'll find it <laughs> um, that was brilliant but
1: like as a day run it wouldn't work because mm. we had to run to the start like we had to run 30 40k from Petra to get there and we actually wild camped overnight and and then we had to carry on the next day. maybe Dana maybe the Dana Biosphere, fit because you can stay at the top you could drop down into this absolutely ridiculous valley explore a bit there was somewhere to stay at the other end there was like a, a bio hotel at the other end and then you could come back and, and like where we stayed in, in Dana itself there was like these little kind of caved dwelling style like rustic buildings that have been rebuilt to I kind of repurposed to as a hotel and that was really really nice but there was so many of it there was a big town called Karak in the middle which is kind of like built up like a fort so then to come into it we had to go through these these uh these wadis as well so there's lots the north of Jordan is a, is a lot greener than you might expect um and that was just that in itself was very kind of eye-opening to us There was a lot of greenery uh like the mountains were totally different to the big deserts in the south so yeah, picking one day would probably be the Dano Biosphere D A N cool. A. Um, but in general, it's the whole. There's there's, there's such a different um, feeling to a lot of that trail.
0: People will have to watch the film. Where can they watch it?
1: That one is is if you go on if you search um, Dave McFarland D 2media I think I his website. Um, that's it's called Lost Dogs and Englishmen and that one is free to watch and i would also if you if you're in the, if you do enjoy that movie i would highly recommend uh the follow-up not follow-up as such but dan dan lawson ran le jog um in under 10 days uh, that, was, that was last summer and dave made a film there as well that one costs about three pound 50 but i would i would look at watching both of them as a two for one um, yeah i highly recommend it they a brilliant job in, in both of those and um, I'd say that, about the first one, I'm obviously biased because I'd love to see myself running around on a camera. Although when you look, you can tell that I'm, I have definitely got injuries that need sorting. And then the the, the one about the jog is just, it's what Dan did there was was an absolutely, um, it was one of the kind of the, the top British performances in terms of multi-day road stuff, but going. So, yeah, two very nice videos, Dave, Dave McFarlane and me.
0: Awesome. Okay, thank you. I'm going to look them up. I've just made a note of those. I'm going to look them up and I'm going to put a link to these in the film description below or if people are listening on the podcast version later, then it will be in the podcast description as well. Brilliant. So um, it sounds amazing. You've totally sold it to me. I'm, I'm going to go and run in Jordan now. I'm going to go head to Dana and um, and run around there. Um, but we would better talk about your book for a bit because that is the reason that we're here. Um, so uh, it's uh, Sorry?
1: I'll just quickly add that the current record holder for the Jordan Trail is now Amy Sproston. so oh. it's a female-held record as well. So I think it's even more, and she's someone that's like she lives out there and she knows it even it probably even better than I and Dan. Um, so that was always just quite a cool thing to. I've like, chatted to her before; she tried out on the record stuff, and it's she also had a, a really brilliant experience of, of the trail. So there's more and more people seeing it, and uh, and more stories around that are quite an exciting part of the world
0: amazing oh that's great so um do you can you remember what her record is um did she totally think, annihilate it i think we were like nine and a half and she
1: was under nine i can't wow. remember i, I told myself to check before the, the, this call but she was it was probably just my ego was too damaged to. Uh,
0: <laughs> was she making a film though because if you had to keep running back and forth for making this film that must have slowed you down a little bit
1: I think we only ran back once at the start because the film guy, Dave and, and James, were, were like, oh, come on, here, it's a really good view. And we ran up and I, I kind of told them off. It's like, we're still here to set a record. I mean, like we, we, me and Dan, we, we, we kind of, we got lost a fair bit. We, we, we did a quite a big diversion for finding a dog and stuff, but there's nothing else. Like, Amy just ran a better run over that. She just ran, she's a fantastic athlete and she, she ran it quicker than we did. There's no, like going back and forth for a film or anything. There's never... If we wanted to go quicker, we, could, we would have to put our put our foot on it a bit more. I think that's all we could have left it to.
0: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Well, hopefully um, we'll see that record fall and fall and more interest in the trail as well. Um, but your, all your experience has basically basically I read this well I haven't read all of it I've I've dipped in and out because I felt like that was a good way to read this book like the tips are very kind of dippy in and out like there's um yeah there's just lots of different little bits and bobs in there that you can dip in and out of but reading it um I just felt like it was a compilation of everything that you've learned over the years like all all your courses like um all your university stuff and your diplomas and and also just you as an athlete yourself kind of distilling all this information all this hard won information into um one handy book for everybody to to just use and, and benefit from so like was that easy to do like in term like comparing it to running an ultra or training for an ultra how hard was it for you to kind of just it's a different skill isn't it writing a book how hard was it
1: yeah, like I've always written as part of like um of, of my part of my involvement in the sport, uh, be it for different websites or, or like helping out other little books and stuff like that. So, like actually, I ended up doing like a I got a whiteboard, trusty whiteboard, and said so I can't work out a calendar or anything, and um. And I just drew like that kind of big blue Peter kind of chart, where you colour in it each bit closer to the target. And I just, I just set off. I, I, we had a good structure beforehand, but like, what do we want to include in this book? And then I, I kind of, well, not kind of. I let my uh, my kind of enthusiasm for different subjects on different days dictate what I was writing. So I was, I'm, I, this is this is my stand up desk that I'm out here. That's made of two wooden apple crates. It's very fancy, and um, I'm just typing away and I would write about things I wanted to write about and then if I was a bit tired about writing about a certain subject I might uh, like tap into another one that I had a few ideas around and and come back to the the subject that was a bit taxing a bit later on and it was over probably two months like this time last year um where I just kind of yeah I, I, as anything I'm quite I'm competitive with myself so I just made sure that I was getting through it enjoying it but putting in like a decent shift of of writing each day um I think uh, I think it, for me it's similar to like running right you can only do so much before you're exhausted and the quality of it if it wanes or the motivation for it wanes so I very much treated the writing task as, as I would uh, my training and I did it and when it suited me I, I kind of built my training around it At that time if I wasn't if I was low on motivation or kind of inspiration for ideas I went for a run <laughs> or rode my bike and then come back and, and I had new ideas or um, and I think one of the things as well like that has helped me come up with a lot of these ideas yeah my own running career definitely is is in those pages but the all the running of the athletes i've worked with over the years because it kind of amplifies the experience like i can learn from my mistakes but i'm also learning from the successes and failures of the people i've worked with and as you learn together and that's like for me that's how i I coach i try and make it an educational thing but uh it's not just the athlete learning i'm learning from every single person i work with and then that gets distilled like a few people as well, like uh, have come back and said, Oh, one one of the tips they really liked was getting your number before a, a race and crumpling it up, and then kind of so it doesn't kind of wear like flap around as much and it oh, contour." Oh. And my wife keeps going up. Like, That's my tip. Like, where's the <laughs> Yeah, like, it's a team effort. there's plenty of pictures of you people. You know, <laughs> yeah. She's like. Smart
0: my tip oh <laughs> well, that's one thing i really enjoyed um reading the book was the style of it and just like every every few tips or so you're just like oh, oh, oh. i was just laughing out loud like uh, especially like all the way i've got I've, I've, I've picked my favorite tip which is um uh tip 994 um, they are there are really a thousand and one tips in here and it's about social media and it says don't waste too much time on social media if you find you haven't got the time to get out of the door for a 30 to 45 minute run delete all your social media apps and you'll have the time for an ultra every day and I just thought that is so funny <laughs> like it's just it's just really true, isn't it, about everything these days. Um, so, yeah, I appreciated that one. I think I, if I didn't have to do it for work, I would definitely do that one.
1: <laughs> As I said to you before, like, and an idea that comes from my coach, Tom Craig's, I put timers on my social media apps, and it's made me much more productive with the time I do spend on. I'm like, oh, I better get this, like this tweet done. I'm supposed to do that's kind of work related. Yeah, I'll, I'll do this tweet, and instead of like spending the next hour scrolling through, I don't know, different reels on Instagram or different kind of threads that kind of you end up into the dark space of America or something. <laughs> you just like, in, out done. Right now, I've got more time. What do I do now? I'll go for a run. Yeah, much better.
0: Yeah, That's the, that's
1: the second tip though
0: yeah yeah it's it's a really good tip and um and then the, then the last tip is really funny because you say don't listen to me about social media i'm an old man now and <laughs> like how old are you like you're you're not even 40 yet i wouldn't have thought um and then <laughs> um yeah it's just funny and you've said i'll be sitting in the corner reading an old-fashioned proper book and grumbling about the youth of today <laughs>
1: Even on TikTok, what, like, how, what do I know about social media if I'm not on TikTok?
0: Yeah, no, I'm not on TikTok either. I did consider it the other day, though, because I was watching some TikTok stuff and they were all dancing around, and I was thinking, oh, maybe I could dance around and do something on TikTok. But it just seems like a lot of effort to me.
1: <laughs> a lot of it. Like, I guess as well, but if, if you're a good dancer, then TikTok is the option. Mm. I like to... So, I like, I'm less likely to do anything... Like, my wife, Natalie, is very good at taking pictures. So, she her favourite is Instagram. Mm. Uh, mine's favorite probably Twitter because I can write things and then just kind of leave it alone. But that's become a bit more the cesspool of late like anyway. So it's like, uh, yeah, what, what, which one do you suit the most? The same as picking a race or anything. Like what what plays to your strengths? So mm. if you've got some mad dancing skills, uh, I highly recommend TikTok. If you're like me, you have two left feet and zero rhythm, then don't go on there, I don't think, unless it's uh, a... <laughs> you consider yourself particularly funny
0: that should be one of your tips shouldn't it Uh, it's a thousand and two tips now um so there's lots of different chapters like the way the book works is that you've divided it into these really handy chapters i'm just gonna um show people just there so there's just um like there's the basics there's some training there's skills and techniques there's how to run in lots of different environments um uh, your body racing kit and year traveling around and then stuff which I especially like right at the end there um and uh, then there's a reading list at the end which is interesting because somebody has um has written quite a controversial question about um that's related to your book but then also not related to your book (laughs) so so um So, yeah, it's it's just really nicely organised. I just wondered if you had... um, Was there a chapter that you enjoyed the most, like, that is the most close to your heart? Or was the whole thing just, like, just a smorgasbord of dipping in and out?
1: I really enjoyed writing about sleep deprivation.
0: Oh, why is
1: Um, that? Well, I've been doing a lot more uh, ultra distant cycling the last couple of years. And uh, I think there's... Obviously, again, I'm not as quick as everyone else, so I'm trying to figure out if I can just sleep a bit less. And I think there's a real Interesting um, area there where you're looking at if you, what's the, the phrase? Was if like sleep sleep deprivation and getting really sleepy to do with adenosine building up in your brain, and adenosine builds up quicker if metabolic demand outweighs supply, right? So, the two ways we can impact that is either increase the supply of energy coming in or reduce the amount of effort going out. Mm. So, in theory, if you reduce when you get to the night time, if you reduce your effort a little bit and keep your food kind of up. You can, you'll be surprised at how uh, well you can weather the storm of sleep deprivation. Mm. So I've been, and a couple of my athletes, uh, especially the bike ones, have been working on some stuff around that, and it's been very fascinating to, to talk to different people and try and figure some bits and bobs like that out. Um, so, yeah, I, that's one of the areas I like. But, I mean, also uh, things around perception of efforts. There's a bit about sports psychology. I'm no expert on the subject. There are plenty of brilliant experts out there, and that's one of the reasons we had the reading list at the end there. It's one of the ones I think mean, it's Carla... I can't even pronounce her well, surname. Right? Ma- no, 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 no. Um, oh. Uh, Carla she's an oh. endurance professional in sports, she's like a researcher into human psychology uh, and sports psychology uh, and like plenty of experts like that out there and one of them is, is, is Dr. Samuel Macora, and his is around perception of effort mm. and how that massively changes what we, we, uh, we do so all the physical information that comes up to our head uh, is still interpreted so yeah, you can you can absolutely kind of blow a gasket in a race, and two people can be in a, a completely identical situation, um, but having different experiences of that identical physical situation. So I often use the experience, and this is what I'll outline. I quite enjoyed this, this these chapters because it's a subject that I'm still learning about quite a lot. Um, but if you've got two runners who are at a mile twenty of a of a marathon, right? They've had identical races at this point, identical training. They've got the same fancy super shoes, the same fancy outfits and, uh, and they're at mile 20 and they're both running six minute miles but runner number one is being overtaken by people and runner number two is overtaking people. One of the, the, the physical situation is identical but the, one of those runners is going to have an easier time of it and that's because our, his, one of their perceptions of, it, of their effort is completely yeah. challenged by the people overtaking whereas if you're overtaking people you feel like you're on top of the world and actually the physical thing's the same. Yeah, but the the, actual, the psychological impact it has on us is yeah. totally different. Yeah, I perceived really
0: like effort is so interesting, isn't it? And I, I, I remember that you wrote something about a lion popping out as well. Like you can give it or if give it your all, you think you're giving it your all, but actually you've always got a little bit more in a tank. For example, if a lion was to pop out of you and try and catch you, so I thought that was really interesting as well.
1: I always use that one as well when describing. Uh, like a threshold effort to someone, mm-hmm. and you can say, "Well, you get into a lab and you want to be between like one and two millimoles of blood lactate." And like people are saying, "Even <laughs> <do you> me, <laughs> uh, well, I don't go in a lab, right?" But I kind of say to people, "Like, well, if you're doing this run uh, and you're out there, it's a controlled effort. You want to be ready in case I come out of the bushes or a lion come out of the bushes that you're not quite at full pelt." And, and it just kind of it's a controlled effort and you're ready for, if it's a 30 minute threshold effort. If I popped out of a bush at 30 miles, uh, 30 minutes in and said, I need you to do 10 more minutes, you wouldn't be too alarmed. You'd be like, okay, I can do that. And that was kind of just different ways of explaining certain sessions. I don't know if that's in there, but uh, it's definitely helped to talk yeah. through um, different
0: yeah, sessions. That's definitely in there as well. Um, and we've got a couple of live questions about training, if you're um, game for that. Um, uh so so train like a horse says is it true that the only way to get faster after a point is to lose weight um can excess weight ruin your progress no matter how hard you train that's an interesting one
1: it's an interesting question and it's obviously quite a loaded one because people have different relationships with food different body compositions and different optimum racing weights um like it's, it's a, One of the reasons I did the Sports Nutrition Diploma was because I was quite frankly scared to give nutritional advice because of the impact it can have on different mm-hmm. people and different people listen to this now. I have to be careful what I say because one person may take it it may help them improve their running. One person may take the same piece of advice and it becomes quite damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is, is look into what your optimum kind of racing weight or composition uh, is and it varies for everyone it's to do with different heights like body shapes body sizes and what you're training for and i think a little bit of experimentation is fine um if you're like yeah if you're kind of concerned or you're concerned about a friend who's who's dropped a lot of weight uh, quickly um or anything like that it's it's just worth like talking to professionals in, in these regards and even myself like even after a two-year postgraduate in, in sports nutrition, I wouldn't consider myself someone that they, you would go to. I would be looking at registered dietitians. Um, so, with regards to weight, um, I would say look for your optimum, like what your optimum ones for a performance. And there is an ex- like people think that losing weight, like I think there's a difficult one. You can tell I'm stumbling a little bit, because <laughs> some people, like losing weight won't make you faster, and that's not true. We do know it's true. We have to. There is a positive correlation but it's not a, a linear one that continues on forever. So there's a point where if you start losing muscle mass or you're, you're not healthy, um, you're kind of, it affects your immune system, it affects the consistency you're training, then that's gonna have a negative uh, effect. So it's just being aware of all the factors at play and, and making that, like, I would advise, if you wanna try and push things to, a, to any kind of limits, to speak to a registered dietitian and see if they can help you do it safely. But yeah, I, it's, it's not always lighter equals faster. I like to think of stronger equals faster, but if I get stronger and just solely eat cheeseburgers for the next six months, I won't get faster. I might get stronger and lift other things, um, but so it's just it's important to understand that it does have a, a role within your um, within performance. But the other thing you get to is performance and health. The top end of performance isn't always healthy either. Like if you looked, if you had to pick a, a top Tour de France cyclist and you stood them there. Like Chris Froome took his top off and then you took someone like in a different sport or, or like a sprinter and you said, which one of these people looks healthy? Most people aren't going to pick Chris Froome. No, like a poor, poor fellow. He's got like <laughs> a skill, like no shoulders. He wouldn't trust him. up. Could you open this jar for me, Chris? But like, you're not going to go through and to open a jar of jam that's really stuck on. Um, and it's that kind of battle between performance and health. And maybe I'm doing Chris through him his service here he might be brilliant well, at opening he is drinks.
0: a major fan of Wild Ginger Running podcast and film interviews it. <laughs> but yeah, like
1: the, 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 the the kind of the, the short answer to that is that I just get terrified of giving out advice that people could take the wrong way on that subject but it just <laughs> it's important it is worth considering yeah it isn't an, a continuous if I lose weight I will always get faster um, we, we probably all have an optimum uh weight for performance but actually you see people, there are instances where people put on weight, they become more consistent, they become stronger and their performance is increased that way. So if you are like regularly picking up colds, if you are regularly injured and you are someone who feels like they have to try and uh, lose weight all the time to get faster, there there could be other ways to improve your performance and it's worth just maybe talking to someone with a little bit more knowledge around the subject.
0: Very good answer. I think that's excellent. Thank you Robbie. Um, I've got a question about... Uh, about you um and it's from um somebody called orange goblin who says at what age or stage in your running career did you decide that you needed to run this crazy distances so i don't know what the definition of crazy is there to some people that is a marathon but um i'm presuming they mean like uh the track stuff where you run for 24 hours and all your ultras and the cross jordan i think it comes back to our discussion of
1: perception of effort right because our (laughs) perception of Normal is impacted by our our peer groups. Mm -hmm. So if you sit around a table with a bunch of people who've finished the Tour de France or the Grand Union Canal Race or the Lakeland Hundred multiple times, and then you talk about what's normal,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. like the fact that I want to do a 5K is abnormal to those guys. The fact that I I spend a bit of time and if I talk to my 24-hour like the the squad that we have there and said, "Oh guys, I'm going to do a uh, and girls, I'm going to do a 5K focus. Anyone want to join me?" I'm getting no takers. I'm getting absolutely no takers. So I suppose, yeah, for me, it was a gradual. I I did the first couple of marathons in uh, May of of 2009. And straight away, I was looking for more challenges. And the London to Brighton one, it just popped up. It just, I don't know how I found it. um, And I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge. I've I've never, I've always seen my kind of most uh, valuable trait as just trying as hard as possible being kind of stubborn and persistent so that kind of pays well to ultra running so i i, I aim for that and, and from there it just became like a stepping stones uh, longer distances trying to get faster get doing races that were long enough that I could win uh, which was hundred miles on the bus uh, and then yeah, you just you end up in a, in a circle of people and circle of friends where it's perfectly normal I feel sorry for Natalie. she when she met me she'd only ever Done. She'd done the Bob Graham when she was younger, but she was a fell runner, mountain runner for very short distances. And within a couple of years, she'd signed up and done a 60k. And, <laughs> and then we were in uh, in the Aosta Valley in Italy and uh, around a table with people who she knew, who she'd just seen finish the Tour de Jeans, Although her longest race was 60k, all of a sudden it was totally normal for her <laughs> that people like herself and her peers around the table might do such an event. So we tossed the coin. She let me toss the coin. Which is a false mistake. What uh, happens? <laughs> the person doing the, the Tour de France the next year, and she went from sixty k straight to three hundred and thirty-eight k and one hundred and twenty hours of, of racing. And yeah, that's that's a monumental leap. And it, like part, of it, I will warn people. I wouldn't advise that often. It's, <laughs> if you've got a light kind of running up and down mountains like Natalie had, the main factor in all those long mountain stuff is the being a little bit ineffective or kind of inefficient on a descent and causing a lot of damage. And Natalie. Natalie goes downhill the same way like a cyclist rolls downhill. There's just no impact on the muscles. It's great, brilliant to watch. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's what normal was to her then. So I, I would say, yeah, for me, it was a kind of just a gradual progression into um, uh, abstract behavior. But the it, well, yeah, if you want to kind of, if, you, if you've got aspirations of, of, of doing some longer stuff and to make some friends with people to come to the races and all of a sudden it won't quite feel as abnormal to <laughs> you.
0: That's excellent, and of course, buy the book for a load of tips and training. (laughs) Um, We've just got time for um, one last question. Um, uh, It's it's quite good because you alluded to this earlier. So um, Marcus McDonald says, as well as your book, what books would you recommend for self-coaching? Because I know you do have a reading list um, at the back here with lots of different books, but like, is there one that's really inspired you that you just think everybody else should read?
1: I, so, it's interesting, right? If, so, for self coaching, I, I almost think there's not like I'd like to think my book is a good one, not because it has all the information, but it, my, my role, my kind of part of it was to try and put you on the right path. So, there is a section on do you need a coach and, and what should I do in that regard. And for me, coaching, if you're self coached or if you are a coach yourself, it's just about constantly trying to learn more. So, at my favorite reference point, I, I, I absolutely adore Google Scholar. Right, I love just trying to find out about certain... It doesn't mean there's, like, loads of different... You can't type in there, and there's, there's obviously skills involved in reading an academic paper, but there's loads of little, kind of, nuggets that I've picked up over the years that are my favourite little articles. Um, be it, like, there's one from 1989 looking at Yanis Khoros on the Sydney to Melbourne, all he eats the whole way across. Um, so, like, yeah, my, my feelings always go towards some of that kind of more academic stuff. Um, but I would look at... Like, so, so when I did that, the work with Stirling University, it wasn't about this is how you coach. It was how to develop as a coach. So I would definitely like, I mentioned about Carol Dweck's mindset. Um, that's the one I would recommend to people, that, that list there. And it's more about how to improve your own kind of mindset around um, development and, and how you're kind of like. It's a growth mindset, it's around. So it's kind of having a this, this mindset that you want to improve and keep improving. And how, like, uh, uh, almost for me, I, I quite like thinking of not chasing failure, but not being afraid of it either. And, and, and learning as much as you can from each opportunity that you get in life. So probably Carol Dweck would be the one where I would say, like, read that, uh, and and then you're going to get that. That's about how you, you get the right mindset to improve as a coach or as, as someone self-coaching. Rather than there's plenty of really good books that you can pick up. Um, I, I, I don't follow Tim Lokes on Twitter these days. He's gone full tin foil hat conspiracy. We're like the law are running or Daniel's running for me or like. Steve Magnus has got The Science of Running, which is a really nice book to read. It goes through like a lot of the, the different uh, types of sessions and there's some really nice inspiring stuff in there. There's so much information on like, my website, fastrunning.com, but like loads of information out there. There's almost too much information mm-hmm. these days. So rather than telling people you should be reading this, that, or the other, it, I would develop the skills to find out what you need to learn and, and, and kind of get in the right mindset there. So that's another... Yeah, it's not. It's, it's a non-answer almost. Although yeah, I did
0: no, say, go good. On. I'll put a link. I've just made a note of that book, Mindset, by Carol Dweck, and I'll put a link to that in the film description and the podcast notes below as well. And we just had, um, we've just had one last question come in from John Gardner, which I, I really must ask because he is the first person that supported me on Patreon, um, so he's a a top top fan of the channel. He wants to know your opinion about, um, training um 80% of your time at a lower heart rate um for endurance because there's that whole 80/20 rule that um Ian Sharman definitely talks about and a lot of other coaches talk about so where do you stand on the whole 80/20 low heart rate high heart rate business
1: the 80/20 stuff is made popular by Matt Fitzgerald's books in the US but um actually it comes back to professor Stephen Silo who's a Texan guy who's based in in Norway and it, it I definitely I I address it in the book um, I have tried to send a coffee out to, to Professor Silo. I would love to him have a read of this book. It, it's interesting. It's just, it's definitely like it's one I like to kind of uh to to have as a foundation of my own coaching. It's not always the right thing for each individual situation, um because it can vary. Like right? we're talking and a lot of the research comes from the Scandinavian countries. Uh, not just the endurance running, but also their their cross country skiing, which they're massive at. They're also big in the cycling at the moment. Um, and the 80/20 as a kind of set fast rule, you can interpret it in slightly different ways. You could look, okay, well, say so tw- your 20% of the week is that 20% of your sessions involve times when you go above the the second lactate threshold, or does that like, do I count four by five minutes? Do I only count the five minutes? Is that only 20 minutes? And mm. how does that work? Or if you're doing, you're slightly lower mileage, and you're coming into to training, and you had 80/20, you're only running four hours a week. Um, maybe actually, if you're only running a small amount of time in your week, there is a bit more benefit to doing things a little bit more steady because you're actually you've got the recovery needed to do it. So I think there is a common error we see where people run their, their, easy running too hard, and this is one of the things that 80/20. It, it, Silas' research with a bunch of people, it looked at the difference between recreational sub-elite and elite runners and it looked at their training and the difference between recreational and sub-elite was the polarization of the training so like the recreational guys a lot of it was in the middle right It was the sub-elite it was polarized it was a lot easy and then it was that bit that, that the 80 20 split was that they looked at right so that's good so you, but what that tells us is either everyone who's not good enough is running too much in the middle and it's not getting the adaptations they need or everyone is not good enough or not good enough but the recreational runners they're running their easy run so hard that they can't do that much of it because the difference between the sub-elite and the elite was the volume of training they did. Mm. And it's not again not always the be-all and end-all, but in that situation between the people that did get their training like polarized, they were then doing more um, because I like to think that if you do you're 80% easy enough, you can increase the overall volume because you're not bashing the life out of yourself. If you tr- as hard as possible, you're not you're never going to uh, bump it up and even but I think it was from on one of Sylar's podcasts. He spoke about working with the Norwegian uh, cross-country st- skiing team. They were going as far as 90% of their training um, of the lower intensity, 10% higher. But you've got to remember, you're talking about people doing 40, 35, 40 hours of training a week. Mm. So they're still doing four or five hours above that intensity. And then we we, we try, we love like a one-size-fits-all. It's much, it's brilliant, right? It's much easier. But it's not always that That's simple. You can't take studies that come from people that, do, that train 20-30 hours a week and then put that straight down onto someone who's a, like a, a parent of two small children that has got a nine to five job and like a, an elderly parent they look after in the evenings and they only run four hours a week and you say well it's got to be 80-20. There's, there's a real mix to it so that my opinion is is brilliant research I would there's some really good like that's another one where I would look up the research written because the one by one of the ones by Silo that looks into it um, it's really readable. It's not like it's that sometimes it's even this word itself for me, esoteric. That I didn't know what that meant before I
0: learned it. <laughs> I don't know if I actually know what that means. Actually, <laughs> does it mean like hard going?
1: Right. No, no, esoteric is it's like written in a way that's understandable to only a very small audience. I think ah, that's my understanding. Yeah, hard going. <laughs> so like, you go, okay, it's kind of academic writing could be very esoteric in that uh-huh. only the academics understand
0: it, uh-huh. right? And
1: even the word to describe it. Is in itself, he's a terrible. Like, I don't even know what that means. Yes. that's not for me. I'm from the lower <laughs> classes. I shall stick with my Beano comic. Um, to, but here's the papers they've written there is it, readable. You get this nice like it's written in a way that I can understand it. That that you, actually someone is self-coaching or kind of a bit more intrigued about it and they've read some of the the books or the more popular articles. I'd I'd recommend going and looking that that way. Go and have it like like chat to some other people that, that maybe or chat to coaches down your local club i like reach out, Stephen Siler is fantastic on social media, on Twitter, he's brilliant. i like interact with him on there and send him questions, and it's a, I'm definitely a fanboy. So I'm, I, I would, I'm a self-admitted fanboy of Professor Stephen Siler and the 80-20 uh, approach and, and the theories, but it's just, as of anything, it's not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. It is an underlying fundamental part of how I coach, but it's not how I coach for every single individual I work with. Yeah. And it it also if you're if you're training for five K or below and or you're a middle distance runner again, changes all over. So it's Yeah. Yeah. That's another long answer to a short question.
0: (laughs) No, that's a really good answer. and I really appreciate that, Robbie. It's brilliant. Um and we're just gonna end with one final question, which is you've well you've done uh you've done you you're doing coaching still, it's like a lifelong um uh, journey isn't it the coaching you've done ultra running you've done the run across jordan you've now written a book like emma morton wants to know what is next
1: what's next so like uh, yeah the last couple years i've done some ultra cycling and I, I managed to win one of those races but there's one called the trans pyrenees that was i dnf'd it, it was the first one i did and i, I do want to go back there and try this organisers the, organize the transcontinental there's some wonderful films about that um, bike race uh, on, on YouTube and stuff so hopefully next year the last couple of years it's not going ahead and I really want to do that um, and I would love to get back to doing some more 24 hour and longer running and unfortunately I've had a bit of a long term injury that whilst it didn't stop me running across Jordan if you do watch the Jordan video I look like someone like, secretly shot me with a bow and arrow <laughs> from the uh, I could go a long way in a fair bit of pain for quite a long time but I was very far uh, from uh, the performance athlete that I, I wish to be, and I'm I'm working my way back to that. I'm back up to doing some decent training, and I'm doing a lot of work with a physio here in in, uh, in Pry, which is our next town along, um, and Elenia and she's been helping me a lot with the, the like my proprioception, balance, and so I, yeah. Next is hopefully to to go back and do some some big some hundred mile ultras, and to do them as fast as possible, um, and some bicycling, some, some riding some bikes around.
0: Sounds like a good life. It's brilliant. Well, that sounds um, great. And you can all follow, what did you say your preferred one is Twitter? People want to follow you on Twitter. That's the best oh, one.
1: I'm great on social media. On Twitter, I, do, I don't I do do, I just interact every now and again and just retweet stuff. If you really, like most of my stuff, I'm fast running. So if you look on fast running social media, I do dabble in the Instagram. I quite enjoy putting pictures of my, if you like pictures of dogs. um <laughs> Uh, or just pictures of of my face looking tired or my (laughs) wife away down a hill these are the main the main things were
0: post on Instagram. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, it's been a real success this evening. We've had um, lots of really good questions, and, lo- and lots of people are saying really nice things now about you. Um, if you have anything more to say nice about Robbie, then do type it now, because I'm going to read them all out to him, um, just to, to make him feel good about this hour that he has given to us. It's very generous of you, Robbie. Um, so Train Like A Horse says, Thank you very much for replying to my question, big smiley face. Um, Marcus McDonald says thanks, Robbie. Also a smiley face. Uh, Lena Genemark says uh, thank you from Sweden. Um, Orange Goblin said a big thumbs up for answering their question as well. John Gardner says interesting. I didn't know about the history, the subtleties, and the elite versus amateur with the whole eighty-twenty thing. And he says thanks, Robin. Um, and Move More Now says is your knee back to normal yet? Oh, that's another question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's so getting there. So. It's not. It's not normal. It may never be normal again. But uh, I'm. Mean, I'm. I'm. I'm two knee surgeries down. I, American football oh. injuries when I jumped it was oh, the first no.
0: one.
1: But uh, yeah. it's it's definitely improving. And I can. Uh, my balance is a little bit less wonky. I actually Paul Tierney. I think you might have had a. I don't know. Uh, he he helped me a lot with getting my working on my feet because they were basically I looked like a duck just standing around. Was, uh, <laughs> like, I was on the edges of my feet, and we just we did a lot of re-education of my. With my feet and, and, and loads of little things. Those that frustrating thing, isn't it? When you've got a long-term injury, you just want to hit it with a hammer and fix it mm. and have like an instant fix. And it's mm. just it's months and months, or sometimes years, of doing tiny little things that don't really feel any different. And then one day you can run properly again. Mm
0: Um, ah. well, we wish you all the best. It really is a fantastic book and there will be a link to it, 1,001 Running Tips by Robbie Britton in the film description or the podcast notes below. So do check that out. Um, Thank you so much, Robbie. It's been lovely to see you, lovely to speak to you. Um, Thanks for all your amazing advice. And um, yeah, we'll let you go for your evening um, out there in Italy.
1: I'll go to a (laughs)
0: <laughs> awesome cool.
1: yeah for having me helping share the the the, uh, the book with other people
0: well, i hope you get loads of sales now and thank you so much for chatting to us tonight cheers cool see you bye